<clears throat> Philippians chapter one, guys, this is where we're going to be. Hopefully you found that. I, um, I, I've been thinking this week uh, <laughs> about how happy we all were to bid farewell to 2020. Just, what was that, 17 days ago? That's where we were. And it really didn't take long for us to be reminded that <laughs> that the only thing new about a new year is the labels we choose to put on it. <laughs> you know, the numbers and dates that we assign to it, the fact that we flip a new page on a random arbitrary calendar that we've come up with. In most ways, it shouldn't surprise us that 2021 looked eerily familiar so far. You know, I think of the violence we saw play out at the Capitol. It was just, just heartbreaking and, and haunting and confusing and disorienting. Uh, last week, uh, seeing seeing the, the racist symbols that were laced through it as more and more pictures, more and more videos have emerged even since that, that day. Seeing the, the political turmoil that's led to this unprecedented second impeachment of last week. I'm sure you guys were all tracking with that like I was. What in the world? Meanwhile, COVID continues its surge all over the country. And and for me, so far in 2021, like the one shining bright spot has been... Uh, the two gatherings that we got to have together as Edgefield Church uh, over the past couple of weeks. And, and now due to COVID and it's continued outbreak in our city, here we are on break for, for a week. And, and I'm just now talking about these sort of big, obvious items that should be on everybody's radar. Uh, I know the list could go on and could go a lot deeper the further we zoomed into what each one of you is facing in each one of your lives. Some of you have recently lost loved ones. Some of you are dealing with, with chronic illnesses. Uh, some of you have lost your jobs and have not yet found another one. And and guys, these are just these are not hypothetical situations. These are the things that I I know, and I don't know all. These are just the things that I know about what you're facing right now. It it's a heavy season. It's different somewhat from person to person, but it's heavy for most of us in one way or another. And that's one reason why we wanted to spend part of our virtual weekend here giving more time to prayer than we normally would in a typical gathering. Uh, it is good for us to pray together over what weighs us down, and we're going to do that in just a bit. But it's also why uh, the, the fact that, we're, that, that this heaviness hangs over us right now is also why I'm so grateful for the chance to turn to Philippians 1 with you guys, because the perspective that we get from Paul in the verses for this morning, these verses that are going to set up our time of prayer later, uh, it's exactly the perspective, exactly the gift that we need for what we're facing right now. Because in these first few in these, in these few verses here in this first chapter, Paul opens up two windows for us into his life, into the challenges that he's facing. And even more important than that, he gives us windows into his heart, into how he views, how he experiences the challenge that he's facing. These verses are part of what's, a, what's known as the personal introduction, the personal update section of one of these old letters. These letters tend to follow a pattern, the greeting. That's what we've been looking at in the last couple of weeks. And then, and then they move into a personal update section. That's where we come today. And so what I want us to do in the, in, the, in the little bit of time that we have together for these verses this morning is to just take a look through these two windows into Paul's life and then step back and look at two encouragements for us. Two windows into Paul's life. That's from verses 12 to 18. And then we'll step back and look at two encouragements for us. That's our plan for the next few minutes. I, I want to begin with these windows. I'm just going to read through as we, as we look into them. I'm going to read the section in two, in two parts. Um, 
I'm going to start with verses 12 to 14. That's going to be window number one into Paul's life, into what he's facing. We're going to see what we can see through that window. Then we'll look through window number two. That's that's uh, verses 15 to 18. Let me begin with window number one. Turn, hopefully you've got it in front of you. Let's look through. Uh, let's look through verses 12 to 14 of chapter one together. This is the word of the Lord. I want you to know, brothers, Paul writes, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. This is window number one. What do we see when we look through it? We see, first of all, that Paul loses his freedom and he rejoices. Paul loses his freedom and he rejoices. Uh, these, these verses that I've just read give us some of our first info on the situation behind this letter, uh, behind the reason, the reasons why Paul felt that, uh, that he ought to write to his friends in Philippi. Uh, Bible scholars think that, that one of the main reasons was that his friends had heard he'd been arrested and they were worried about him. You know, they care about Paul. He mattered to them. And so once they heard he was he was in prison, they wanted more, and so he wrote to update them on the situation and to ease their fears. You've seen how he launches into this update in verse 12. He mentions his imprisonment uh, several times in these next few verses. But to me, I, the really interesting thing about this update <laughs> is that it's barely an update at all. I mean, surely if, if his friends had, had heard that he'd been arrested, they'd be wanting to know what went down. I mean, wouldn't you? They'd want to know, how'd you get busted? Was it in public? Was there a spy that turned rat against you? Did they beat you when they arrested you? What's your sentence? When do you go before the emperor? Are, are, you, are you all alone? I mean, this section of a letter is supposed to be all about you and what's going on in your life for the benefit of your friends. And Paul tells them basically nothing about himself. Uh, instead, he boils it all down to the one thing he really wants them to know. Verse 12, look back at it. I want you to know, brothers, what's happened to me, that's the only way he refers to it here at the beginning. What's happened to me, all the things you're worried about, all that you heard, has really served to advance the gospel, period. Rather than telling them the effect that his imprisonment has had on him, he tells them the effect that his imprisonment has had on others. Look at verse 13. How has this advanced the gospel? Well, the whole imperial guard has come to know that his imprisonment's for Jesus. I love this part. It's like it's like Paul turned the tables on these on these prison guards. They think that he's the captive one, but really they're the captive audience. They can't go anywhere. They're stuck with him. You know, they got to make sure he doesn't get away. So they're basically chained to him. And now the whole guard knows that he's there for Jesus. That 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 Jesus is worth going to prison for. Then he continues in verse thirteen, or rather in verse fourteen. That the brothers, other Christians, they see what's happening. Instead of getting scared by it, they're inspired. They see Paul willing to, to go to prison for Jesus, and, and it makes them even more bold in their evangelism. They're more bold to speak the word without fear, verse 14 says. So, so, so think about this, guys. Think about who Paul is. This is a man of relentless drive and activity. This is a man who spent years traveling all over the world from place to place against great challenges and having tremendous adventures, taking Jesus to people who don't have them. This is a man who spends his, 
his his downtime writing theological treatises that have lasted for 2,000 years. This is a man of relentless activity, and now he's in chains. All of that is over. Everything that he used to love about his life in terms of the structure of it, the activities in it, taken away from him. What do we see when he gives us this window into how he's handling all of it? Paul has lost his freedom to live the life he's always lived, and he's fine with it. In fact, he rejoices. That's window number one. Let's look through window number two. Verses 15 to 18 give us another update. Something else going on in his life that he wants them to know about. It's in, in a way just as threatening, and yet still he rejoices. Look at verse 15 with me. Let's read the next few verses. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm here, put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So here we move into another situation. What do we see through this window? Paul's reputation is attacked. Not only has he lost his freedom, now his reputation is attacked. And he rejoices. He talks about these people. He's mentioned in verse 14 that, that, that the brothers, other Christians, have become more confident to talk about Jesus because of Paul's imprisonment. But, but now he fills in a little bit more detail. It's actually not all good. Some of those folks who are boldly talking about Jesus are talking about Jesus for the wrong reasons. Uh, they preach, he says here, from envy and rivalry. Yeah, there are some who preach from goodwill. There are some who see that Paul who loves Christ and loves to preach about him, now can't do it. He's stuck in prison, so they pick up the mantle, pick up the baton, and run with it because they love Paul as well as Christ. Some are that way, but others preach, Paul says, from selfish ambition. In other words, they're preaching just to get at him, to afflict him in his imprisonment. Verse 17, it's not really clear who he's talking about. Uh, he doesn't say, so we have to be real careful how much we – how much we speculate on that, but it seems like these teachers are telling the truth about Jesus. They actually, they actually understand Jesus the right way, and when they talk to others about him, they're telling the truth. Uh, it's not a situation like in Paul's letter to the Galatians where there was some sort of false gospel going out that Paul was really worried about, and, and he wrote that letter to correct these teachers to really condemn them, to curse them, say, be, be gone, get out of here. It, it's not that situation. Instead, it, it, these guys have the right understanding of Jesus, but in their hearts, here's the thing. In their hearts, these teachers, they love what they get out of preaching Christ. They don't love the grace their audience gets from Jesus or the glory Jesus gets from their audience putting their faith in him. They love what, what they get out of this, not what others get or what Christ gets. Preaching Christ is their career path, and that means – you know, in their minds, for them to climb up the career ladder, they need to push Paul down a rung or two. When he's down, that's an opportunity for them to build their platform on his back. That seems to be the situation behind it. I mean, when, 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 even though Paul doesn't elaborate exactly what they're doing and what they're saying, it, it, it isn't hard to imagine. When, when rivalry and envy and ambition are involved, as Paul says, that's going to always mean making yourself look good at somebody else's expense. That's going to involve things like slander, like mockery, whatever. It, for them, the gospel is not the point. They are the point, their career, and Paul is their competitor. It's a zero-sum game. It's going to be them or it's going to be him. But, but for Paul, it's just not that way at all. 
He just cares that Jesus is preached far and wide by any means necessary. Look at verse 18. He knows these folks are proclaiming Christ out of selfish ambition, that Jesus is their career path and Paul is their competitor. He knows that. What then, he says in verse 18, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. He's stuck in prison. He's got no way to defend himself against whatever it is that they're saying, and he rejoices. How would you feel? I mean if I knew somebody was getting at me on top of all of it, on top of the fact that I've lost my freedom for Jesus, now somebody's coming at me because of him trying to build their brand on my back. I'd feel hurt. I'd feel violated and angry and bitter. I'd probably deal with a lot of self-pity. I'd be thinking, here I am, stuck here for Jesus, and if, if that's not enough, even fellow Christians are wearing me out out there. And all of those feelings would make sense. But for Paul, his reputation is attacked, and he rejoices. Now, friends, what I, what I want to show you in the next few minutes that we have together is just how much encouragement you and I can get from what Paul has just shown us about his own life. He's peeled back the curtains. He's given us windows into what he's facing, but even more into how he responds to what he's facing, into what's in his heart as he deals with the suffering he never asked for, but that has come for him anyway. And through what he's shown us about his heart, we get tremendous encouragement for what we're facing today. I just want to show you two examples, two encouragements for us from these two windows Paul has given us in his life. Here's number one. First encouragement for us. When Christ is your treasure, no suffering can steal your joy. When Christ is your treasure, friends, no suffering can steal your joy. I, I've been thinking this week about how much of our anxiety traces back to basically the things that Paul is really experiencing. Our, we are anxious about ending up exactly where Paul already is. Uh, how much of our anxiety traces back to, to our material circumstances in one way or another, You know what, what we hope for protecting what we have, what might get in our way or fall through, and then to what other people think of us, to, to, to our material circumstances in our life or to, to what others think of us in our lives. On both of those fronts, whatever we might fear, whatever might cause us anxiety about what might happen, it's basically already happened to Paul. I mean, his, our nightmare has come true in his life, and it's all because of Jesus. Now, now imagine imagine if Paul wanted from Jesus the same things that these other teachers were looking for from Jesus. You know, remember, for them, they're driven by selfish ambition, by envy and rivalry. The gospel is the means to their end of advancing themselves. The gospel is how they made a name for themselves in this world or how they got power over other people or how they got money for their pockets or whatever. We don't know. One way or another, the gospel was a means to some other personal selfish end. If that's what Paul was looking for, then he'd be looking at Jesus through what happened to him and he would see he would look around at his situation and he would say allegiance to jesus has ruined my life i'm in chains i'm alone i'm facing execution and back in the day before jesus got involved in my life i was respected i was admired i was even envied by others you can look at philippians 3 for a list of the ways that paul had risen above the pack 
And now look at what's become of me. It, basically, he's facing disaster. If the gospel were a means to some other end for him, then his life has blown up and he's lost. But for Paul, he looks at his circumstances through Christ, not, not Christ through his circumstances. He looks at his circumstances through Christ. Christ is the given. Christ is the fixed point from which he sees everything else. Christ is this set of, of, of glasses that he puts on over his eyes that helps him to see everything else he's experiencing. That means prison is no prison. Prison is a platform for him. Like What, what we would look at as a, as a loss of freedom, Paul looks at as a, as a chance to get the gospel to a, a whole group of people who had no other opportunity to hear it. Who cares what they say about me, he thinks, as he, as he realizes what these other teachers are doing. As long as they keep telling the truth about Christ, I can tell I mean, if, if me being slandered is the price to pay for Christ to be proclaimed, great. I can live with that because, because friends, Christ is his treasure. Nothing can touch him so long as he has Christ. It's remarkable to me that, it, that this, this letter, which is, which is probably the happiest of his letters, the most upbeat, it's full of all these references to joy and rejoicing. It's written by a man who's stuck in prison. <laughs> And he's in prison, but my goodness, is he free? Don't you want this kind of freedom? I know I do. I mean, and given the hardships of this last year, maybe you've seen your need for this kind of freedom more than you've ever seen it before. And if that's what you're feeling this morning, I just want to remind you of what you probably already know. You won't find this freedom anywhere else but Jesus. It only comes when you tie your deepest joy to what can't be touched by anything in this broken world. I, I want you to flip with me just for a little preview of what's to come later in our series. I, I want you to take your Bibles, flip with me two chapters over to Philippians chapter 4. This is the last chapter in the letter, and Paul ends the letter uh, with a similar update to the one that, that we've seen today here at the beginning of his letter, talking to his friends about his situation and how he's making sense of it. Uh, the, the, there are verses here that are a very well-known passage on contentment. I want you to hear these verses from Philippians chapter 4 through what we now know about Paul's situation. Look, uh, look down and in, in, uh, let's pick up in verse 11 of Philippians chapter 4. He writes, I have learned to, in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, he says. And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I've learned to be content in whatever situation. We know what situation he's in. It's not like it's not like Paul's writing about from one of these from one of these abounding circumstances, from a place of plenty, and he's looking back on on the hard times, but 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 they're kind of a distant memory, and he's kind of forgotten how hard they were. And he's saying, look, yeah, I could be content no matter what. I'm good. From this place of abounding, it would be so easy to say that. That's not where he is. When he writes these verses, he's in prison. He's in the low time. He has nothing. He's lost everything but whatever meals they choose to give him each day. And he's saying right now in prison, having lost everything, I'm content. I've learned the secret. What secret? Verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Friends, that's no line for a Heisman winning QB who owes his success to Jesus. 
This is the line for the man in prison who's lost everything but Jesus and says, I've got plenty. I can face anything with Christ who strengthens me. I can face anything as long as I still have him. Through him, no prison can hold me in and no slander can run me down. If I've got Christ with me and if Christ stands for me, I can be content no matter what. That's the secret. When Christ is your treasure, no suffering can steal your joy. There's encouragement number one. Here's encouragement number two. When Christ is your treasure, every suffering provides an opportunity. No suffering can steal your joy, and every suffering provides an opportunity. I think it's so important for us right here to see that Paul is giving us more than a coping strategy. He's not just showing us how he can survive anything as long as he has Christ. He's actually showing us what to do with suffering, how to leverage it, not just how to get through it, but how to put it to use for the kingdom. That's his emphasis in chapter one. Look, what's happened to me has served to advance the gospel. It's not a roadblock. It's a, it's a through highway. This is taking me a place I could not have gone otherwise, and I'm bringing Jesus with me on that road. His suffering is an opportunity, and we can see ours that way too. It just takes careful, prayerful, day-in, day-out work on our perspective. At one level, it's easy to see examples like, like Paul's, you know, missionary examples or martyrs who gave up their lives for the gospel and how inspiring that has been to other Christians to follow in their footsteps and, and how that's shown others who weren't Christians yet, that they are willing to die for this thing. There must be something here. That's true. But there are many, many other opportunities, friends, so many everyday opportunities to testify to the beauty and the power of Jesus through how you experience the hard things in your life. And one of the one of the most common sources for hardship for us in our lives is, is relationships with other people that are strained. Friends, if, if that's what if that's what you're thinking about now, if that's what's got you down, turn to Philippians two and read it and look at the opportunity for the gospel, for advancing the gospel that you have in the way you love a person that is that, uh, with whom you're you're at odds right now. Maybe maybe you're among the many who have who have lost jobs or experience career setbacks. I know there are many of you in our congregation, not, not to mention around the country, around the world, who are suffering right now on that front in light of everything that's gone on. I encourage you to, to read Philippians 3 and see how Paul looked at his resume in light of Jesus and know that you've got an opportunity through the disappointment to tell the truth about where your hope really lies. I, I could go on, and I'm not. I'm going to stop right here and give you a homework assignment. I'm just going to encourage you to think about your life in a way that only you can. You're the one who knows what you're dealing with. You're the one who knows what you're facing. I want you to think about this week what it is that's, that, that's causing you anxiety. Pick an example. What sort of disappointment or loss are you grieving over? What is it that's costing you sleep or stealing your focus through the day? Find an example. I know you've got one. Identify that example and then ask of it. How can this trouble advance the gospel? Where is my opportunity in this situation to show the beauty and power of Jesus to others around me? And then I want to encourage you to pray over it as we're about to do right now. God, please show me how this can advance the gospel. 